0: Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, As everyone said, my name's Ralph. It's my pleasure to share with you this morning. We are in a new series. We started a series last week called Salt and Light, uh, subtitled Life Between Sundays. And um, we really just, we've been thinking about this series for a few months. It's just kind of been brewing away in the background and just really... Um, recognize just what an absolute privilege it is that um, God calls us to be his representatives in the world. And um, that's not just kind of like a sort of an optional extra, but actually it's, it's baked into who we are as Christians, that we are um, the people that God chooses in his wisdom to send to the world, uh, to be his representatives, to be salt and to be light. And so we wanted to take uh, this time, this term, it feels like the, a good sort of time of year to be, um, to be resetting some things, thinking about uh, kind of what kind of foundations we've got, um, thinking about the, prob- there's probably lots of things in your life that are new at the moment. Things seem to pick up around this time. And So what, what a better time of year than to um, think about what it means for us to be salt and to be light. And, um, last week, John kind of introduced that whole concept of uh, what it means to be salt and light. We looked at that famous passage from the, um, Sermon on the Mount and, uh, just, just love the idea that fundamentally, this is part of who we are. It's not about how do we perform really well? How do we hit a certain set of standards? How do we, um, kind of, yeah, win at Christianity, but it, it is, how do we just express ourselves, be us? And, um, And he he shared that amazing idea from Eugene Peterson that um, we carry the God flavors and God colors of the world. And we we, um, bring that to those around us. And so... We just wanted to take last week and today to continue to just lay a bit of groundwork in terms of um, some of the the bigger questions, the bigger ideas that that hopefully will help you guys, if you don't already, get a fresh sense of purpose around what happens in your life between Sundays, recognizing that for all of us, that looks like a whole host of different things. For a lot of us, that might be in the workplace, it might be in our homes, it might be in the things that we do um, as volunteers, it might be in community groups, all sorts of stuff but recognizing that actually there's so much life that happens between Sundays and and God's got so much to say about it. So uh, last week and this week, we're sort of laying some groundwork uh, then we 're going to have um, three sort of really uh, kind of targeted weeks where we 're thinking about some specific kind of uh, like, kind of like behaviors some kind of character things that um, will really hopefully help all of us wherever we are and then we 're going to wrap it all up by um, thinking a lot about culture and how we um, how we really influence the world around us and, and hearing from some, from some different people in some different places about what god 's been doing with them and um, what that looks like so we 're excited about the next few weeks and i 'm excited about this morning and um, yeah I just want to pray again uh, as we as we dive into stuff. yeah Father, thank you that you are here by your spirit, that you are brooding over us as we were singing, that you're bringing order out of chaos, you're bringing new life where there was none and Lord, we say yes to your plans and purposes for right now. we say yes to what you're doing in our hearts. What you doing amongst us as a family, and Lord, would you continue to um, create in a way that only you can do? Yeah, in Jesus' name, Amen. So there's, I think there's three kind of key questions that we want to ask ourselves as we as we get into this series, and the the first one which we spent a lot of time thinking about last week is, is identity, like how do we how do we see ourselves, and. Um, that's a really good place to start because we're with ourselves all the time and so um that's going to be a really key theme that we keep coming back to but the um two other questions that i want to look at this morning are um how do we see god and how do we see the world now um it's ridiculous to think we can answer those two questions in the next few minutes. But um, hopefully there's some stuff that God might want to speak to you about, about maybe how you currently see him that maybe he wants to talk to you about. Or maybe it might be how you see the world that there might be something that he wants to shift. And I just want to encourage you this morning to be really open. So I've, yeah, I've got quite a few, quite a vast and varied few things I want to share. But there might just be one thing this morning that God wants to highlight to you. And I just want to really encourage you to be open to that. So we're thinking about how do we see ourselves, how do we see God, and how do we see the world. And um, again, one of the pictures John shared last week was this idea of um, us being like a, a forty-five degree angled mirror. You know, he, he talked about that idea, that um, sort of we sort of stand here and, and we kind of look up to God, and we also look out to the world, and um, sort of we actually we reflect God's goodness back to the world, and we also we uh, reflect our worship back up to God, and. I love that idea because um, it, it speaks to all the different things that are involved. The idea that there's <laughs> there's there's different components. There's God. There's us, and there's a world around us. And so, <clears throat> whether we um, find the idea of a mirror helpful, uh, people might often talk about the idea of us, um, us being a bridge between um, between the world and between God. Um, I really love, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea of being an ambassador. I think uh, I love that idea that um, actually God calls us to be his representatives. But in all of those things, there's these, these three components are mixing together. And so that's why I think it's really valuable that we take some time to consider what's going on. And so just to set us off, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 18 to 20. It's one of my favorite passages. It says this, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. It is it is nuts, like I was saying earlier, that that God chooses to send us as his, his representatives. But it, what an amazing privilege that actually, wherever you set your foot, wherever you go, God has called you to represent Him and to um, to see people the way that He sees them, not counting their sins against them, but saying, "Come back to God; He really is as good as you imagine." And so, if we take nothing else away from the next few weeks, let's take away that idea that we have been sent to the world, that we're ambassadors and we represent him. And that's probably not the first time you've heard anyone say that. And I think most of the things I'm going to say this morning, you likely will have heard before. But I was just thinking about that absolutely classic um, preaching analogy, um, thinking about the idea of a chair. You know, you can see a chair, you can look at a chair, someone can tell you about a chair, you can understand the nature of chairs and what they do, but until you actually sit on it, till you actually put something of your weight on it, you haven't moved from just thinking about it to actually believing in it and trusting in it. And so my hope this morning is that um, stuff that you may have heard about loads of times, actually, you could move from just being saying, I could tell you the answers about that. I could tell you the theory about that. But actually, I'm going to choose to put a little bit more, maybe a lot more of my weight onto this thing, trusting that it, that it is what it says it is, that it is true, that I do believe it, it is real, and that it's going to make a difference. So um, that's what I'm hoping for this morning. So how do we see God? Like I said, ridiculous question. <laughs> but I think that The Sunday school answer and the right answer is, look at Jesus. Uh, We um, hear from Colossians 1 all the time. I love that passage. It talks about how Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Like, if we want to know what God is like, um, look at Jesus. Look at the life of his son. And so um, the single most strategic thing that you could do in terms of being God's representative, being his ambassador, is, is committing to follow Jesus is being his disciple, is orientating your whole life around him. What he says, what he does, his heart, his passion, all that kind of stuff, everything that we need, we could find by um, orientating our lives around Jesus. But there's one aspect um, of what God's like, um, how we see God, that I just wanted to flag up this morning. And um, the the phrase that I'm going to use is, um, it comes from Haggai 2 verse 7 which is uh, uh, from a prophetic book, which Hebrews later tells us is about, uh, it's about Jesus. Uh, and it, but it's a theme that kind of runs through Scripture as well. But the, the phrase that um, we hear what God is like, um, Scripture tells us that he is the desire of the nations. He is the desire of the nations. Other translations talk about it. He's, he's the treasure. Like actually when you cut everything else away, Right at the very core of everything, the whole world, all the nations desire God. He is our true desire. Inside each and every one of us, there is a longing, there is a yearning for connection with our creator. Because that's who he made us to be. You may have heard it said that there's a God-shaped hole in every human heart. Ecclesiastes says that um, God set eternity in the heart of men even if you're chatting to the most hostile person you can imagine, actually um, believing that deep down the desire is in them for God because we all have it. Like creation is yearning for him. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8 that creation is desperate to see God's sons and daughters because they're desperate for him. And the amazing thing is he's just, he's more desperate for us 1 Timothy two four tells us that it's, it's God's heart that every single person will be saved. And so it's these, these two really simple but kind of huge ideas that God wants us and we want him. Not just the we that is here um, knowing about it on a Sunday morning, but the we out there, like deep down, we all want him. And again, this is that might be something that you would say, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see how you've made that point. But the question I want to ask this morning is, do we actually believe that? When you think about the people you're going to see tomorrow morning, do you actually believe that their deepest desire is for him? Um, It's one to think about. And actually, just would really love you. uh, We're going to do this a couple of times this morning. But just with a couple of people around you, um, have a think about what you're going to see this week. Have a think about the places you're going to be, the people you're going to talk to. What is it that they desire? What is it that they're going after? Um, And what is it possibly about that that actually God might sit underneath? And then if you're feeling really creative, how might you be able to bridge the gap? So we're just going to take one minute, two minutes maybe, uh, just with the people around you. Uh, What is it that we see that the world around us desires? What might God be doing underneath that, and how could we help sort of join the dots? So um, go for it. Cool. I can't imagine you uh, (laughs) solved the mystery in uh, 30 seconds, but just good to think about it and talk about it and um, just encourage you to, yeah, pick up those conversations again afterwards and and take it a bit deeper. So um, how do we see God? He's amazing and he is the thing that everybody wants. That's that's the, the piece we really want to take away. How then do we see the world? And for this one, I want us to be really honest with ourselves to begin with, because uh, there, in many ways, there are some right answers, and I might um, attempt to give you some in a bit. Um, I might be wrong, but in terms of how I see what God's saying, uh, there's, some, there's some principles that I think are going to be really helpful. But what is even more helpful is being honest with where we are right now, like actually genuinely um, what is my heart towards the world? What is my posture towards the world? How do I feel when I think about the world? Um, obviously, that's a very big concept. But in, uh, f- in this context, what we're talking about is the idea of the, the mass of creation that doesn't yet know God. That's what I mean by the word. I'm not talking about environmentalism or things like that. Just that sense of um, the vast majority of people who don't uh, yet know who God is. And um, the reality is, John 17, 14 says this. The world hates them, the disciples, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Um, I genuinely don't spend most of my time walking around feeling hated, um, which is great, long may that continue. But um, the reality is, the, the default posture of the world towards the plans and purposes of God are hostile. And that's hard, because I don't know about you, but I don't like being not liked. And so um, I genuinely will not really think about that too much. Um, And the point of this isn't to get you to sort of feel aggressive. Hopefully, you'll see that when we get there. Um, But it's just this idea that... um, to be a follower of Jesus is to be other in many ways. It requires a swimming against the tide. And it would be um, ridiculous of, of us to imagine that we would not be people who would be affected by the fact that I might think that what I have to say someone might not enjoy. I, I would be affected. I am affected by that. And I'm sure all of us are. And so it'd be stupid to just be like, oh, no, it's absolutely fine. So um, And. Also, it might be a quite a new experience for a lot of us, because the reality is Christianity is the mainstream religion in a in a society that is allegedly faith-based. So probably for a lot of us, we grew up with hymns in school, um, the idea that, you know, like if you went to church, you might be seen as a bit boring or a bit weird, but you were like, you were the nice, good one kind of thing. And um, there was a sort of moral majority sort of experience that would come with Christianity, which... Uh, I don't think probably was ever the case, but uh, the the trajectory of Christianity is not towards the status quo. Let me put it that way. And so what I want us to think about this morning is what is that going to mean for us? And um, to do that, I wanted to think a little bit about the context of ancient Israel that Jesus was speaking into. Because the Jews that he was addressing were a disinherited people who were oppressed by an empire. And, they, um, and so I wanted to look at uh, four sects of Judaism uh, quite briefly and, and, uh, and how they responded, how they uh, undertook the task of how do we carry on being Jews even when the world's against us and see if actually there might be something interesting we might want to spot about how we act today. So um, there were four main sects. The first one, um, the Pharisees, probably all heard of them. And their default position was they kept their Jewish purity through the law. So they were like, uh, they did things to the letter. So we are going to maintain our way of life by creating this set of behaviors that is almost completely unattainable. But uh, in doing so... We, um, we we create an in crowd and an out crowd and we know who's with us and we know we have a sense of uh, moral superiority and purity and it's all about our behavior and how we keep the rules. Most of the time, as Jesus exposes, it was quite hypocritical, but that, that's what they did. Um, so the word I would use to describe them are they're legalists. The second group would be the Sadducees. And these guys, they... Um, they were concerned about being able to still do the things they wanted to do, like through the temple. So they wanted to be able to keep their, <coughs> their rituals and their customs. And uh, they, were able to, they were aligned with Herod, who was the, uh, like the puppet king in, uh, in Israel at the time, who effectively he was working for the Romans to kind of enact the Romans' desires. So um, the Sadducees, they, they basically were people who colluded with Rome, but in doing so were allowed to keep up their way of life and keep their, keep their Jewishness. Um, and the word that I'd use to describe these guys would be assimilators. The third group were the zealots. These were the freedom fighters. They wanted to fight Rome, take it down, overcome their enemy by force. The, if you've ever seen Life of Brian, There's a good shout out for the zealots in that film. Um, But ultimately, almost in this feeling of like, ah, everything is against us, the reaction is, okay. well, let's take it down. Um, I struggle to find a word to describe these guys that might help, but um, like aggressive fundamentalists, um, culture warriors, possibly, Um, but those kind of guys. And then the fourth one were the Essenes. Uh, John the Baptist was in a Essene, I think. Um, and if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were from an Essene community. Uh, these guys effectively ran away. They just did one out to the desert. And um, they're like, we're going to take our way of life, and we're just going to take it and have it in isolation. And it's going to be completely cut off from everything else. And we're going to be able to do our thing. And that's going to be great. Um, these guys are our self-preservationists. So we've got legalists, assimilators, Aggressive fundamentalists and self-preservationists. Yay! <laughs> now, um, now's not a time for a commentary on on that. Is it? What I want to think about is where are we noticing that we exhibit some of those behaviors? Because the likelihood is we all will, and we'll all probably do most of them, one way or another. And then. Um, it just want us to think a little bit, particularly as we consider what might it be like for us to continue practicing Christianity in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards it, yet we are called to be salt and light. This is why this is hopefully a helpful exercise. And so just thinking, in what ways might we be legalists? In what ways might we impose unnecessary codes of behavior to identify an in and an out crowd? prove ourselves to God and each other by our behavior and find pride in ourselves by judging the behavior of others, the heathen. And in doing so, we drown out our own humanity and forget our own need for a savior. We come to despise the world because it doesn't measure up. And we find that we're satisfied with the significance that comes from proving ourselves to be better than others within our own distorted value systems. In what ways might we be assimilators? In what ways might our main goal be to carry on doing the things that we like with the people that we like? That's the main goal. And if that requires some compromise, so be it. Our main concern is the path of least resistance, and our motivations can often be more political than theological. We look longingly at the world and hope to be allowed to join in without having to give up too much in the process. I was thinking about C.S. Lewis's quote about prosperity and sort of switching that out for cultural capital. And he said, um, prosperity, or, or cultural capital, knits a man to the world. He feels that his, he is finding his place in it. while really, it is finding its place in him. So the assimilators. Uh, what about the fundamentalists or the sort of culture warriors? Um, it feels a little bit like juggling TNT, this one. Um, but it's just that sort of default position of, of fight, of aggression, of just attacking things. Like Almost like in feeling scared and feeling disempowered, we, we need an enemy to fight in order to feel powerful. And actually, the bigger, the um, more insidious, the more insurmountable, the better. We, uh, we thrive off conflict and possibly conspiracy theories. And we see ourselves as the great defenders of the faith, fighting for God's honor and destroying his enemies, usually by way of a perfect, correctly crafted meme. <laughs> but that sense of, like, it's on me. I've got to fight the, fight the good fight for the faith. And then finally, the self-preservationists. Fundamentally, we're scared of the world and of its abilities to influence us. We think the best course of action is to retreat from view and work out our faith in isolation. Better to detach than be defiled. Salvation is about getting a ticket into heaven, and the sooner we can escape the earth, the better. If we can take others with us, great, but primarily we're interested in keeping our noses clean and putting down down payments on an inheritance that we will cash in when we die. Our priority is survival, and we'll do whatever it takes to make sure we're OK. So you want to turn to the people next to you? <laughs> I've got four different colored badges. You can uh, <laughs> choose which one you're going to put on. Um, now, generally, I, I would love you just to turn and chat a little bit. Like, what, what, what? It, in any of those descriptions, which one's sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, I can see a bit of that in me? And, um, and also, like, is it different in different settings? Might you be a different person on a Monday or a Tuesday, depending on what you're doing. But um, yeah, just take a few minutes. Just reflect with the people around you. In any of those ideas, which the ones kind of related to you, which sort of jumped out? And um, yeah, have a little chat. Maybe just 30 more seconds. again probably conversations to continue so I just um, wanted to um, spend the the rest of the time just thinking about some theological anchors that might help as we try and work some of this out Um, and uh, I think recognizing that the, the nuance, even in just doing that kind of exercise, it's a little bit um, ham-fisted in the sense that I'm not just saying everything about all of these things is, is terrible. Because actually, there's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom and like in a lot of those behaviors. And actually, they were very pragmatic in terms of allowing those guys to pursue the religion that was so important to them. So um, I, yeah, hopefully that doesn't need saying, but just to say that out loud. Um, And I guess the reality being that um, probably where that error lies in any of those groups and in any of the ways that we sort of do that sort of stuff is in um, trying to find a way to resolve a tension that can only be resolved in Jesus. In that sense of, so the first thing idea we're going to look at is is that tension between Jesus sends us into the world. Yet cause us to be holy, which means separate. And so, um, and I think that's those guys were feeling that tension between the world doesn't want this thing that I've got anymore, and so this is our way that we're going to work that out. And so, I think the challenge for us today is that, like whatever way it is that we work that out currently, where is it us trying to do it ourselves to relieve tension, and where is it that we're actually doing it in that tension with Jesus? So in John 17, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us just before he dies. So his, his urgency is pretty high. His prayer is pretty, uh, pretty much a big deal. Um, so verse 9, my prayer is not for the world, um, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father, Holy Father you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is your truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And it's, um, I think I emboldened them, yeah, you can sort of tell, Um, verses 15 and 18, those two things, like, Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take people out of the world. I'm not asking you to do that, but I am praying that you keep them safe because there is an enemy. And I think that's sometimes where we get stuck is like, well, if it's bad, let's go away. But it's actually no, and you know, we have that phrase, we're going to be in the world, but not of the world. And then um, sometimes that can, that can lead us down the route where we, um, like, yeah, we'll kind of, we'll, you know, do our thing and we'll put on our evangelistic events. But fundamentally, like, that thing is dangerous. That thing is scary. I'm staying away. Whereas actually Jesus is like, yes, you're not of this place. Yes, this place doesn't get you. But I'm sending you into it. And I'm praying for you in the midst of that, that you will be protected. That's what he's calling us to. And and he says, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. So everything that we see Jesus do, he is calling us to do the same, to go into the world to represent him. And, um, And the reality is, if we're going to be people that bring God flavors and God colors, they need to be different to the flavors and the colors that are around. Otherwise, what's the point? But we need to be there to bring them. And how encouraging to know that Jesus Christ is praying for us as we do that. That actually it is a battle. There is a challenge. There is an enemy that is against us. But Jesus is praying for us and Jesus has won the victory, which is amazing. So that first anchor is that we're sent into the world, but Jesus prays that we stay holy. And so actually you may, be, you may actually need a bit more courage to get sent. You may need a bit more conviction to actually Let go of some compromise. It may be all all of the above. But um, Jesus is sending us and he's with us. Uh, The second idea that we really want us to hold on to is um, that God loves the world and came to save it. Probably doesn't need saying out loud, but she wants to read John 3, 16 and 17. There's a reason why this is the fundamental, like, keystone verse that you will see everywhere. It's a reason why people are putting it on banners in American football stadiums. Um, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Like God's love for the world is vast. It's so big. We might talk about the fact that we, like, love Manchester or love whatever. But actually, if we're not at that point where we're sacrificing the the very essence of ourselves, our our son, for this thing, then there's probably a way to go to get on God's level. Thankfully, we don't need to. But um, we can ask, we can pray that, God, you would give me the same kind of heart for the world that you have. And as well, he says he doesn't come to judge it, but to save it. And I think that's probably the verse we often need to hear more it's that it's not our job to judge the world. 2 Corinthians 5 that we read out earlier says, we don't consider people according to their sins, but we represent God. Like, people's sin needs dealing with, but that's between them and God. Our call is to love, is to preach the gospel, and to trust that the Holy Spirit will lead people into truth. But And even as I was sort of thinking about this verse, um, I noticed something which I do quite often, um, which is... I sort of, I like read out this verse as if it's the, right, it's the kind of like the trump card. I'd be like, oh, if you, just, you know, just, just need to love the world like God. And the sort of temptation that lies there is that actually it's about me and my behavior and what I do. And how am I going to get up to that standard of loving the world so much? And um, I just, I wanted to share this, this idea around um, intentionality. Um, Because I think particularly over the coming weeks, as we think about stuff that we can do and think about ways that we can partner with the coming of God's kingdom and things that we're seeing him do, uh, we can really easily be, um, tricked is the wrong word, accidentally get to the place where we think it's about us making stuff happen. And I I learned a new word this week, which I've never even heard read out loud, so I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it, but it's prevenience, the doctrine of prevenience. Um, And it's the idea that God is at work first. And I want to read out this quote to you from uh, Eugene Peterson from his book, The Contemplative Pastor, which says everything I need to say. God is everywhere and always seizing the initiative. He gets things going. He had and continues to have the first word. Prevenience is the conviction that God has been working diligently, redemptively, and strategically before I appeared on the scene, before I was aware there was something for me to do. There is a disciplined, determined conviction that everything, and I mean precisely everything we do, is a response to God's first work, his initiating act. We learn to be attentive to the divine action already in process. What has God been doing here? What traces of grace can I discern in this life? What history of love can I read in this group? What has God set in motion that I can get in on? Instead of confronting the bogged down human condition and taking charge of it, and taking charge of changing it with no time wasted, we look at divine prevenience and discern how how we can get in on it at the right time and in the right way. We can be so quick to like, oh, I'm just gonna go do it. But what is God doing? And um, I'm going to pray for us in a second and just leave a little bit of space to reflect. And actually, just, just think about the next seven days in your life. Um, and, and then think about one specific aspect of it. Maybe it's going into the office tomorrow. Maybe it's coaching the kids' football team on Tuesday night, whatever it is. Um, and then just, just ask God, what are you already doing here? What have you already set in motion? Where is your grace already at work? What history of love is already part of here? And then ask him, what can I do to join him with that? How could I join him with what you're doing this week? Because God doesn't need us to put on our hero capes and make it all happen. He is already doing it. But he wants to partner with us. He wants to send us. He wants to use us as his ambassadors. So the key thing in that is going to be God, what are you already doing? How can I go and get, get involved in it? So um, just as we as we finish, um I want us to hopefully there's some stuff to take away. And uh, particularly over the next few weeks, just thinking about like what it is about who I am, what is it about God, what is it about the world that maybe He's stirring up within me. And fundamentally, can I reconsider? What might God's purpose for my life be? Even if we feel like there's a lot of stuff in our life that feels really purposeful and really directed, like actually, is there something underneath that? Is there a vocation, a calling that goes deeper than our roles and responsibilities, that goes deeper than the the various hats that we might wear through the week? What, is there something about what it means to be God's representative that he's calling me into in a new way this week? So, um, so why don't you stand? I'm going to pray. Jesus, you are amazing. You are the desire of our hearts. And I pray that over and above everything else that we've thought about this morning, that um, that, that would be tangible and true for us, that our hearts would yearn ever more for you. God, and I want to pray that where we don't feel like that, where that feels like something that we're choosing rather than experiencing, that um, that by your spirit, uh, you would lead us on that journey to desire you, to see you as you fully are, God, because um, as we behold you, we become like you. And Lord, we want to thank you for um, all the different um networks, areas, places that we're going to find ourselves. Thank you for all the, the vast and varied ways that this community will touch the community around us this week. God, we thank you for every single person we encounter. We thank you that they are created in your image, that you have good things for them. And Lord, I just want to pray that we will be people that have a sense of conviction around who you've called us to be, that would have um, a desire to live purely and holy for you, God, but would be a people that have laid down our defenses, that are not putting up barriers between us and the world, that are trusting that, Jesus, your prayers are powerful and that you will protect us from the evil one. And that you have called us to bring your your unique expression, your love, your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your hope. You've called us to be ambassadors of those things in the world. Help us to get out of our own way. And allow you, Holy Spirit, to work through us. Take off any pressure, God. Take off any sense that we are the saviors or we ought to be. And let us trust in your initiation, trust in your work. And God, count it as such joy that we get to join in on it in all those little ways. Thank you just for those amazing moments we have as we bring encouragement and kindness and connection, that they help us to be human. And God, I want to pray for us as a community that you commission us into a new season of confidence in you, and confidence in the gospel. Thank you, God. We say yes to all that you're doing. Continue to move amongst us. Guide us in our conversations. Guide us as we interact through the week to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And thank you, Jesus, that you chose us first. That we love because you first loved us. Would you saturate us again in that incredible love? Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, finelife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.